to anyone that if there, if there was a celebration that the church had, if we, if we celebrate anything, then we celebrate this day. Uh, in fact, uh, Paul said in the letter to the Corinthians, he said, if, if Jesus Christ, if he, if he wasn't raised, if, if, Jesus, if Jesus Christ did not come back from the dead, if, if resurrection, Jesus, was not a thing, then, then his preaching or our preaching is worthless and our faith is in vain. If you ever want to know what the very, the very center, like, like the bullseye, like the one, the one thing that cannot be taken away, the, the, the center pivot point of all of our faith, the entirety of the Christian faith, the entirety of what we understand about who Jesus is, it's this day. It's the, the remembrance, the celebration, the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without this, everything else is uh, meaningless. You know, I, I don't, um, I don't, I don't presume to know um, where where you've come from this morning, um, what type of faith background you have. If you have any, maybe you have lots. Maybe this is your the first time that you've ever stepped through the doors of a church. It, you know, I it does not matter to me. It does not matter to the leaders here. Conduit is not, does not matter to the people of Conduit how many times you've been to church or if you hate God or if you love God, um, you know, I, we're happy you're here and we believe that you're here for a reason and we, we don't think it's an accident that you're here. We plan for you to be here, whether you plan to be here or not, we plan for you to be here. Um, and um, I, what, what I think is that even those who maybe uh, don't make a habit out of going to church or wouldn't call themselves Christians or maybe even um, have a lot of enmity towards God have at least somewhat of a familiarity with the Easter story. Like what, what it is that we're here talking about. Like if you had to, if you had to recite the story of Easter, you could, you could do that. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be difficult for you to do that. Uh, I'm going to read one such account of the, um, of the story of Jesus resurrection. There are really four main accounts that we that we have and you find those in the four gospels and I'm going to read um, John's account. So John, this guy that had like eyewitness clarity relationship with Jesus, he spoke on authority. He spoke on authority about what happened in Jesus' life, not because um, he heard a story that was another story that he heard from another guy, but, but John spoke and wrote as one who lived with, followed, witnessed the life and ministry and what most people would think of are weird kind of things in Jesus' life. And he went about to say, hey, look, I'm writing down this account of my experience with Jesus because I believe that when you read this, that you will believe. And, um, and so we're going to read John's account um, this morning 
from uh, John from the, the 20th chapter. So if you have the Bible with you, take it out. There are some in the pews. We'll have it up here on the screen for you too. If you have the Conduit Ministries app, you can get that for free, and it's got a Bible right on it. Um, feel free to read the Bible on your phone as well. It's a good way. Reading the Bible on your phone is a good way to convince the preacher that you're reading the Bible and not checking Facebook. Okay. <laughs> okay, so John, chapter 20, verse 1. Right, A familiar story for most of us here. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he bent over and he looked in, the stri- he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. And the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb also went inside. He saw and believed, but they, did, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look in. And saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why why are you crying? They They have taken away my Lord, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was him. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me, tell me where you have put him, and I I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out, in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that, she, that he had said these things to her. So we have this, we have this classic story, uh, classic story of what happened when Jesus, uh, apparently the, the tomb of Jesus was empty, all right? And Mary, um, Mary had gone to the tomb that morning. Uh, it's interesting uh, to know a few things because we often think of uh, accounts in the Bible or, or Bible stories romantically, 
right? And we, we, we kind of separate them from what is just normal, what you would experience as normal human emotion when you've lost someone that is very, is very close to you, right? Um, the word says that early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. So my first question in reading this is, Mary, 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 why in the world... <laughs> Why in the world are you going to the tomb like when it's still dark out, like first day of the week, um, like what, what's going through your mind? And you begin to think about it a little bit, and I, I think it makes pretty good sense that um, Mary had lost someone, Jesus, that was very, 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 very close to her, influential in her life, uh, a leader a role model, someone that, that she considered to be uh, that she considered to be savior and lord, and now she watched him die on a cross, and grief had overcome her, desperation had overcome her, hopelessness had overcome her, and 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 like many of us, when we lose someone and we don't know we don't know what to do or where go or how to process it, we end up doing the only thing that we know how to do is we go and we sit next to the place where they're buried. And we visit them. And we leave them flowers. And we, we talk with them. And, and all of the memories of our time with them, right, they just come bubbling to the surface. It's, it's, a, way, it's a way for us to, to process through that grief to process through that loss. And i got to imagine that Mary probably just couldn't sleep that night. Probably couldn't sleep that morning. And so decided that she would do the only thing that she knew to do in the midst of intense loss. And that was to go and sit next to the big old rock that was covering up the grave of Jesus. But, of course, as the story goes, she got there and the stone was no longer covering the tomb. And, and to her surprise, um, she looks down in the tomb and it was empty. Now, good Bible story, right? We all know the, oh, the tomb was empty. Of course it was, right? Ha-ha, got you. But, like, okay, uh, going to go to the cemetery this afternoon Visit grandma and grandpa, take them some flowers. They love Easter flowers, send them some flowers. Get there, um, hole in the ground, coffin open, empty, right? Y'all, my first reaction is not, they're resurrected. Okay? Not my first reaction. It's like, not giving Mary a, you know, a hard time or giving Peter a hard time or giving John a hard time because they, all of them, thought someone has broken into this tomb. Someone has taken Jesus and I, I don't know where they have put him. See, what's incredibly interesting to me is that even Jesus closest disciples. The people literally the closest to him 
that they could possibly be, even they had not come to grips with the resurrection. It didn't matter how many times Jesus told them it was going to happen. It didn't matter how many ways he told them it was going to happen. It didn't matter how many miracles he performed. In fact, if you read John's account, in, in John chapter 11, Jesus physically raises someone else from the dead, right? He raises Lazarus from the dead. And so they had seen this before. And even still, right? Because they were normal, everyday, nine to five, like you and me people, when they saw an empty grave, their first thought was not, he's resurrected. Their first thought was, what is going on? Who took him? What kind of conspiracy are we dealing with? Because people don't just come back to life. They don't. And so maybe you have been born, maybe if you, you have been raised, maybe you have been, been, been taught to believe that, that, um, that honest questions about things like the resurrection from the dead are, uh, it means you just don't have enough faith. You know, if, if you're maybe a little skeptical of this whole dead man, back to life type of thing after three days, then, um, man, you just need to believe it. Just, you just need to believe it. Throw away your doubts. Throw away your questions. Just have more faith. Just, just believe. But what I'm here to tell you is, is that I, I don't think that's the answer. I, I don't think the answer is just believe harder. Just believe more. Just, just put a little bit more effort into it. Because even people that were face-to-face with Jesus and regularly saw him do things supernatural without explanation, right? Even they were like, their mind was all twisted up about what could possibly be happening. John even confirmed it here in verse 9 when he, say, when he says, um, they still... Even after they, all three of them had gotten there, they had looked in the tomb, they had seen the burial linens everywhere, Mary had confirmed it. They may have even remembered Jesus himself saying, hey guys, look, don't worry, I'm going to be arrested, tried, crucified, and buried, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be uh, with me where I'm going into heaven. Right? And they're like, uh, we don't know where you're going, and why are you talking like this? And right, then he says the famous thing like, um, you know the way to the place where I am going. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one should come to the Father except through me. Right? They had been told the details of the story. And so when the details actually happened, they still were like, ah, I don't get it. They couldn't, right? They, they couldn't jump over the hurdle of, of their own doubt. They couldn't jump over the, the hurdle of, of their own rationality. And that's not, that's not to be um, like, who could blame them? Who could blame them? I certainly, I don't give myself more credit there. Mary, here it looks like in verse 10, um, just continues 
in her grief, right? The disciples went back to their homes. Who knows what they were thinking? It says in verse 11, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Now, come on, Mary. But she did not realize it was him. Come on, girl. Like, this is why you've been crying. This is what you, well, supposedly what you came here, like you came here to remember Jesus, right? To, to deal with your grief, and now you are here, and he's standing right in front of you, and he's asking you, why are you crying? But look, Mary, she was so in this moment, so, so consumed in herself, right? So consumed in her own grief, so consumed... Um, in her own memory of Jesus, uh, that, that she didn't even recognize that Jesus was standing right before her. And in verse um, 15, Jesus asks her this question. She still doesn't know that it's him. But he, in verse, uh, John chapter 20, verse 15, Jesus says, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for. This is the deep, I think, if I could like, I wish I could be a fly on the, fly on the tomb rock, right? Fly on the tomb rock in this instance, right? Because um, it's almost like Jesus wasn't asking her who she was looking for. It's almost like the way the conversation goes, right? It's almost like Jesus was asking her, what are you looking for? What are you looking for, Mary? Why'd you come to the tomb? Why'd you come here this morning? What, what's the point? What, what's the point of, 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 of coming to a dead man's tomb? What's the point of standing outside a big rock that you can't move with yourself, just thinking nice thoughts about, uh, about me, uh, dreaming of everything that you thought was going to be but is now lost? What is it? that you are actually looking for. Why are you really here in this place at this time? And while that was a question to Mary, I also believe that it can be a really introspective and important question for you and I, right? Maybe even in this exact moment, being like, who are you looking for? Why are you here? I get it, right? A lot. I, I totally get it, right? Um, there's been times where um, my wife has had to, she always gets nervous, right? Didn't clear this. My wife has had to drag me to places that I didn't want to go, Right? And if someone were to ask me, why are you here? I'd have just been like, 
mouth closed, right? Nice and respectful and honest, but, you know, and, and as, as spouses, we do, we do this for, for the ones that we love, right? We, we do things that are important to them, even if, they're, if it's not necessarily important to us. But, um, but the question of why you're here, what you're looking for, who you're looking for, I think, um, in my experience at least, almost always determined determines what or who you find. What you're looking for, who you're looking for, often determines what and who you find. You see, Mary, she went to the tomb that day expecting to find a very dead Jesus. A tomb very sealed up. She probably was going there um, so she could sit outside his tomb, sit next to his gravestone, and think really, really good thoughts about him, right? To run over all these memories of Jesus. And maybe your um, experience this morning or in life in general is um, that... You think a lot of nice thoughts about Jesus. The stories about Jesus, they're great. And he seems like such a kind man. And so full of love and compassion and acceptance. And, and it's nice. It's nice to just, man, go sit next to the tomb and think good thoughts about Jesus. But I wonder, I wonder, um, what if, <laughs> just, just what if, what if Jesus completely ruined your expectations, just like he ruined Mary's? What, what, if, what if Jesus um, showed himself to not just be the, the subject of good or familiar stories, a, um, a once great teacher, but now dead in the tomb. What if he showed himself to be, um, uh, how do you say it, like, very well alive? Like, how would that, how would that change, how would that change you? If it, if the story, if the story that you read in a book was no longer a story, but was actually a... Re- just what if, what if? What if? See, here's my opinion. After almost 15 years of ministry and, you know, 25 or so years of following Jesus, um, a dead Jesus, a Jesus that is in the tomb... Um, is a way easier Jesus than a resurrected Jesus. Way easier. A dead Jesus, a Jesus that I can just sit down and just remember fond stories, great teaching, a kind man, a compassionate person, um, way easier. Way easier. But, but, but if, I'm in, if I'm forced to look at an alive Jesus, 
and, and out of the grave, Jesus. It, it both would and should cause me to, to stop and reevaluate everything that I know to be true about life. Because like Paul says, if, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then your faith is worthless. And so if Jesus was raised from the dead, then all bets are off. Every expectation that you have, every expectation that I have, every experience that you can have, every situation that you find yourself in, every relationship, every hope, every dream, every disappointment, if Jesus was raised from the dead, then it means the game is completely different. When we talk about Easter morning, and we talk about the empty tomb, and we rightly, we rightly describe it as a miracle. It is, and it is. Right? A miracle by any other definition is, a, is an instance where certain things happen that go against kind of the, the natural laws of life. That's why we often refer to them as supernatural, right? Because they're not natural. Something happened that's not natural. Right? And, and so, so if we, if we, um, if we are going to say, if we're going to say that, okay, maybe Jesus did. Maybe Jesus, it, what, what happens if he is alive? What, what, happened if, what happened if Mary and Peter and John were could not be more wrong about what happened to Jesus' body. And instead of someone, someone taking it, Jesus rose from the dead. What if? And we would continue to say, well, that's a miracle upon miracle upon miracle upon miracle because that doesn't happen. It's supernatural. And I would agree 110%. Um, but I... I'm, I want to go so far as to say that that's not even the most significant miracle of Jesus' resurrection. There's something more. There, there's something beyond the miracle of Jesus raising from the dead. The most miraculous part of this story, the greatest miracle of Easter is not just that Jesus defeated death, but that through him you can defeat death. The, the greatest miracle is not that Jesus came back from the dead. That's just like a good predicted story. He said it himself. I'm this is what's gonna happen. A, B, C, and then D. And it happened, right? It's like if the disciples were just paying attention in the moment that they saw the empty tomb, they would have been like, well, of course. Of course. He said it was going to happen. We saw him do other supernatural things. It stands to reason that this is going to happen too, right? It would have kind of just been like a normal thing in the life cycle and ministry of Jesus. But what, have, what would have been the most miraculous thing is that Jesus promised, that the same spirit that raised him from the dead will raise those who believe in him from the dead also. That is the miracle. 
In fact, in, uh, just to give you a few examples of even when Jesus himself said this, when he raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, he says, uh, Jesus said uh, to those who were witnessing this resurrection, he says, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live. Even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. The greatest miracle of Easter is not just that Jesus came walking out of that grave. The greatest miracle of Easter is that, is that Jesus offered, he like, he extends his to grab yours and walk out of whatever grave you've been laying in. Whatever big stone has been rolled over the entrance to life. Whatever, whatever darkness and coldness and dampness exists in that tomb that you call your life. Jesus offers, even in the midst of your grief, to take your hand, to roll away that stone and to walk you into life with him. You see, there was a, a one, one word. Jesus did not, Jesus did not need an entire, um, an entire sermon, right? An entire sermon to tell Mary that, hey, I'm not the gardener. He needed one word. Just one. And it's um it's your favorite word. And it's my favorite word. And it's every each individual's favorite word. It's your name. It's your name. <clears throat> it's the word that's most familiar to you. It's the word that gets your attention. It's the word that every mom in here, if their kid yelled mom from down the hall in the midst of a crowd of other people would immediately recognize their child's voice, right? The way that their child says their name. It's names, they're not just something that we're called. They become kind of written on the fabric of our Souls, and that's why I I believe that when when Mary was was destitute in her grief, when she when she was weighed down with hopelessness, consumed with tears, not understanding how she was even going to take the next step in life without Jesus by her side. It wasn't a long explanation of how she needed to stop crying. It wasn't a whole lot of comfort. Jesus simply said, Mary. And all of a sudden, everything else in life
faded away. Every grief, every hopelessness, every tear, every pain, every deflated dream, right? Every harsh word, every guilty thing, every bit of shame that she had carried for her entire life. In that moment when Jesus said her name, it all melted away. And for the first time, maybe ever, right? She understood what life really meant. What life really was. I don't, I don't know. It's impossible for me to know the tomb that you lay in every day. And maybe, maybe you've done a, a like just a fantastic job of putting yourself together, and you've found a you've you've found a way maybe even to carry that tomb around with you. But it's still here, and it's still heavy, and you still lay in it, and it's still dark, and it's still damp, and it's still cold, and it's still a prison with a big stone in front of it that you are powerless to move. On your own. Let me tell you what, Mary didn't have to move the stone. Why? Because Jesus had already done the heavy lifting for her. And the only thing that it required in that moment was for Jesus or for Mary to respond to Jesus calling her name. My prayer, my prayer. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for everyone this morning is that in the darkness of the tomb that you are laying in right now, you would hear Jesus calling your name. That you would hear him, you would hear his voice piercing through that pain. Piercing through that darkness. Piercing through that sadness, that grief, that shame, that guilt. And that when you hear his name, that you would turn your face to him. That you would would look up and see a savior who is offering you his hand who wants to walk you out of that grave. I am not Jesus. Surprise. I know the beard might have given it away, but I am not Jesus. Pastor Corey is not Jesus. Right? We make, we're, we make, we're pastors. We make really lousy saviors really lousy saviors. But um, but if you hear Jesus calling your name this morning, if, if you hear a voice in the darkness of your soul that says, let me lead you to freedom, Let me show you the way out. You don't need Pastor Corey and I. You don't need Pastor Corey and I to respond to Jesus. 
But we would, we would love to pray with you that you would respond to Jesus. That you would, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the second time, or maybe for the third time, or maybe for a new time, that, that you have continually heard the voice of Jesus in your life, but have continually, continued just to, you know, sometimes the grave is comfortable. Because it's all that we really know. Right? Sometimes the darkness and the cold, the loneliness and the hopelessness, right? It's the most, it's the most comfortable thing that we, that we know. It's all that we know. And so we're not always very eager to run away from it. But let me tell you what. The light is bright outside the tomb. And if you would like to respond to the voice of Jesus calling your name this morning. We would love to receive you up front here as the band comes back up and we're going to we're going to enter uh, we're going to enter back into uh, worship this morning. We have three or four more uh, three or four more songs to sing together to sing to Jesus. But we're not just it's not just a concert, right? We call them the band, but they're not the band, right? There's no, there's no autograph. There's no merchandise table afterwards, right? What we would like to offer is just uh, maybe to set a brief environment for you up here where, where we can receive you, pray for you, love, love on you, cry with you, celebrate with you as you respond to the voice of of Jesus calling your name. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the miracle of Jesus. The miracle of the empty tomb, Lord, but Father, the miracle does not end there. The miracle does not end simply with the story of Jesus, Lord, because Jesus came so that the miracle would extend into our lives. Jesus came so that the so that um, the, the miracle of resurrection would be our miracle as well. And so, Lord, I pray in this moment, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak loudly through the darkness of the tombs that we are living in, Lord, and call these people by name. In Jesus' name, amen.